And a couple weeks ago, uh, we started Romans 8, this awesome chapter of the Bible. Some would call the antidote to depression is what Romans 8 is. And we got through the first 17 verses and saw Paul continue to elaborate on keys to overcoming our flesh and he talked about how we, even though we still struggle, because we're still in our flesh, we're not slaves to it, but even though we still struggle with it and we are guilty of sin from time to time, he started out Romans 8 by giving us a reason why we don't have to dwell on or we don't have to worry about past mistakes, right? Because in verse 1, he tells us right off the bat, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen, all right? So that's why you don't have to worry about the past. And as he continues to tell us the benefits that we have in Christ through our our faith in Christ, he's now gonna give us reasons why we don't have to worry or be anxious in the present either, all right? In this section we're gonna be in today, which we all need because let's face it, life is hard, okay? Life on this earth is, is hard. Jesus, Jesus was honest about that, and it's full of hard things that give us lots of reason to worry or be discouraged in, okay? And I would argue that without God in his word to tell you otherwise, there really is little to no reason to be hopeful in life because of all the difficulty and adversity you can face in it daily, And I believe that's why there's so many people in this world today that struggle with depression and anxiety. But for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, he has given us in his word every reason to be hopeful, no matter what it is that's going on in our life, no matter what it is that we're facing. And in this section of scripture today, we're gonna see Paul give us four benefits of our salvation that should produce this hope in your life or a confident expectation that everything is gonna work out all right, no matter what's going on. And this is why I'm wearing my Hope Dealer shirt today because I get the privilege privilege of sharing God's word of hope with you in this section we're gonna be in today. So let me go ahead and read it. And honestly, I could just read this and be done and it shouldn't be an encouragement to us. But I'm a pastor, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to elaborate. Verse 18, Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. To those whom he justified, he also glorified, O Lord. Such a rich chapter of scripture that honestly, Lord, we could spend years in. And I'm gonna try to get through it in 45 minutes. Lord, give me grace. And Father, um, I just pray again, Lord, especially if, if we're coming in here and we are going through hard things, that we were reminded of these truths, how before we knew you, we truly had no reason to expect something good to work out in those hard things that we face in our lives so often. But you've given us every reason to be confident and sure that you're gonna be good, no matter what it might appear to us when we're going through these difficulties, Lord, that we so often face in life. Difficulties that you told us in advance we would face and that one day will end when we're with you face to face forever, Lord. So be with us now. Just help us even if we think we know these things, Lord. Would you just speak them to us through your Holy Spirit in a fresh way so that even as Rob taught last week, they're not just things we know in our head, but they're things we believe in our heart so that we can live in these truths in the stability that you intend for us believing and having faith in your word. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so if you remember back in verse 17, Paul's talking about this inheritance that we share with Jesus as being his children, like Jesus, son of God, we share in this same inheritance. But part of that inheritance is also sharing in the same sufferings as Jesus. Basically, the same hard things that Jesus went through when he lived on this earth, we go through, okay? We, we don't get out of those things as Christians, all right? But now Paul's gonna go on to tell us this next benefit of being in Jesus, which is the first of four reasons that we're gonna see today that we've been given by God to be hopeful in those hard things or the suffering or the adversity that we face in this life. And this is the first one. Write it down if you're a note taker, okay? At any moment, the hard is gonna end in your life for good. At any moment, your hard is going to end in your life for good, all right? Verse 18, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings on this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, first and foremost, you need to understand that Paul is not saying this from a place of ignorance as he endured more suffering in his life than most of us ever will see. And if you guys were with us as we went through the book of Acts or you've read that on your own, I'm sure you would absolutely agree with that statement. None of us here have almost been stoned to death, I'm pretty positive, okay, for our faith in Jesus. But despite his extreme suffering, he still considered the future glory that, would, that he would one day experience in the Lord's presence to be far greater than any hard thing he went through in life. In fact, 
He says it wasn't even, it's not even worth comparing, as he says there in verse 18. The glory being something that is to be revealed to us, is verse 18, 7. So the implication there is that it already exists. It's just waiting for us to fully be able to see it and comprehend it. But it's there, okay? And the fact that this glory is already real and out there and that today just may be the day that we get to fully experience should be something that motivates us to keep moving forward in our faith, in following Jesus in our life. So basically our hope in this glorious future that awaits us being what will keep you moving forward following Jesus through any hardship you might face in the present. And God actually talks about this, or Paul talks about this, God talks about through Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, just turned 45 this week, that's ever more present in my life, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Doesn't that just resonate in your soul? The longer you live in this earth and the more fallen you see it, our motivation to continue to persevere and endure through the hard we so often face in life is that any moment that hard is going to end. And when it does, it'll be gone forever. And the future glory, glory that we're all waiting for will finally get to experience and it'll never end for all eternity. And even though the hard we face today doesn't seem short-lived and insignificant, as Paul says there, like a light momentary affliction, I can 100% guarantee when you see Jesus face to face in the light of his glory and grace that you're going to be with for all eternity, it is at that moment going to seem light and momentary. Amen? And as such, as Paul tells us in Romans 13, 11, he says, wake up. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Knowing these things, right? Knowing these things should cause us, man, to be alert and awake and all about following Jesus, knowing at any moment we could be with him. And all the stuff that's so hard and sucks so bad is just gonna be gone forever. And we aren't the only ones that are eager to see this glory. As Paul goes on to say in verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So this future glory that we're looking forward to is the son's or children of God, as verse 19 says, where our redemption is going to be fully completed is also being eagerly anticipated by the rest of God's creation because it's not just going to be beneficial to you and me, but also to every other created thing in this world who have been subjected to the consequences of living in a fallen, sinful world because of humanity's sin. And you don't have to look too hard in the world around us to see 
the devastating results of sin in creation, right? When you look at earthquakes, when you look at hurricanes, when you look at survival of the fittest and animals, you know, destroying each other, you know, all that is a result of the fall of, of, of living in a fallen world because of sin entering into it. But when Jesus comes back, things are gonna be quite different here on this earth as he establishes order the way it was intended to be. And we get a glimpse of this, how crazy it's gonna be, how different it's gonna be than what it is now in Isaiah 11, six through nine, where it's talking about his millennial reign on this earth. It says in verse six, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Man, isn't that crazy to think about that? Probably some bad news for you guys that like hunting in here because it doesn't sound like there's gonna be killing animals. But the good news is you're not longer gonna have to struggle with the temptation to skip church because you haven't filled your tag yet, all right? Catch and release, there you go, bro. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But this is why even now creation is groaning, not with death pangs, but as verse 22 says, with birth pangs as it yearns for Jesus to come back in anticipation of him restoring the life God intended creation to experience on this earth. And it's a day where Isaiah 55, 12 tells us, the mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. And as believers, this is something we're yearning for as well, as Paul goes on to tell us in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the first fruits, if you guys aren't familiar with that term, they were the initial crops that were picked in a harvest. So what Paul's conveying here in verse 23 is that we've already been given a taste, the first, fruit, first fruits, if you will, of God's glory through the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, eight is that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, right? What we do know about God, what we have tasted has revealed to us that God is awesome. And so we are yearning for that, that full taste of God, that full understanding of who God is, seeing him face to face. The way I, I was thinking of, like a way to describe this, how many of you guys like Mexican food? Now, there's a rule that my wife and I are, have come to know, and that is that if it's good chips and salsa at the beginning of the meal, the meal, the actual main course is gonna be even better, right? So. When you get a place that has good chips and salsa, you just yearn for actually the real food because you're like, oh man, it's gonna be amazing. 
So in the same way, it's like we've gotten the taste of Jesus. And it's absolutely amazing what we've tasted, right? How many of you guys are getting hungry for lunch now? <laughs> but all that to say is like we're yearning for the, the full picture, the full thing. Paul's specifically talking about this inward desire that we all have as believers in verse 23 to experience this consummation of our adoption into God's family, which will happen when we finally get to see the Lord in heaven for the first time face to face. And at which point, we will be in our fully redeemed, resurrected bodies, as Paul says in verse 23, that no longer are gonna be hindered by your flesh. As you're gonna be, it's gonna be fully dead and gone forever. Paul telling us about what our glorified bodies, this need for them in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm gonna read a large section, but it's pretty cool. This is one of those sections that gets me excited too. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 42. It says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life, and we who are living will also be transformed. I'm believing he's talking about the rapture there. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And it's in this hope that we are saved, as Paul says in verse 24, or when we are saved, we were saved given hope that the best is yet to come. You do not have that expectation if you're not a child of God. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you cannot be guaranteed that the best is yet to come. But because you've placed your faith in Jesus and become part of God's family, you've been given that guarantee that this is as bad as it ever gets. And it's only upward and onward. And the longer I live in this body as it continues to break down and I see even the 
good th- things that were once good just continue to get tainted by sin as this world gets more and more messed up, the more and more I long to be with Jesus. It, we yearn for it. And we can be completely confident in what he says here, right? Like Paul, Paul goes on to say in verse 24 that if we had fully experienced God's glory in our lives, then we'd basically have nothing left to be hopeful about. But since we haven't fully experienced yet, there is still something to look forward to, which should lead us to persevere and patiently wait for it, as Paul says in verse 25, being completely confident that it's coming because God has said it's coming and he's not gonna lie. He's always faithful. Something my wife and I like to do with our kids to motivate them is we like to give them incentives. All right, whether it's to like do chores or do their schoolwork um, or just, you know, for good behavior in general, we'll give them incentives, maybe like give them like a couple hours of video game time, right? And the hope is that they're motivated to persevere and endure through things that they might be tempted to give up on without that incentive to keep going. Well, Christian, you've been given the ultimate incentive to keep going, keep enduring, keep persevering, keep following Jesus, knowing what is coming for us, amen? But when we are feeling weak in our flesh, we aren't expected to just suck it up and handle it on our own, as Paul goes on to tell us in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul telling us here the next benefit we have in Jesus and the second of four reasons that God has given us to have hope no matter what adversity we might face in this life and that is we have the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf in the midst of the heart. Second thing I want you to note is we have, you have the Holy Spirit praying on your behalf in the midst of your heart. The longer I follow the Lord, the more instances I see where I thought I knew what was best for me or other people in some situation, but clearly I was way off. And all the things that I thought would work out for the good didn't work out for good, or the things that I thought wouldn't be good worked out for good. And because of that, my attitude in prayer has changed over my course of following Jesus from trying to direct God to a posture of looking to him to direct me. And often that means that I come to God understanding that I don't know what the heck is going on, so therefore I don't even know how to pray, but the one thing I do know is that I need to pray. I need to rely on God for this because I don't know anything. And what Paul says here in verse 26 is when we're feeling that way, God himself through the Holy Spirit inside of you helps us by praying for us or interceding on our behalf with groaning too deep for words. The idea is that it's through communication beyond our ability to express or that cannot be articulated without the help of the Holy Spirit. And 
while this may include praying with what the Bible talks about is a spiritual gift of tongues that Paul talks about specifically in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, where he says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Or 1 Corinthians 14, 14, where it says, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Where it may include that gift, it certainly is not limited to that, to that gift because the Holy Spirit, quite frankly, can intercede on your behalf without needing you to say anything at all, okay? And Paul tells us in verse 27 that the Holy Spirit is better at praying for us than we ever could be because first, he's able to search your heart. Or in other words, he knows you better than you even do. He knows what the motives are and what your true feelings are behind what you're saying and what you're asking for. So the Holy Spirit can know us even better than we do. And then the second reason is we have limited knowledge about any given situation in our life. And the Holy Spirit has no limited knowledge because like God and being equal with God, he knows all things. So he can pray with the complete picture in mind that we could never see. And then the third reason is, and this is probably the most important or the most greatest benefit, is that the Holy Spirit is in perfect unity with God, the Father. He's able to pray for us according to, as it says in verse 27, the will of God. And like I said, that's probably the most important benefit because again, even though prayer is to be directed at God, it's never to be directing God. And the reality is because of my limited understanding of any given situation, more times than not, I truly don't know how to pray, as I was saying earlier. And as Paul says in verse 26, even if I think I do. And so because I clearly have no idea more times than not what is going on in my life, and I know God does, instead of telling him what I think he should do, I can just groan, Lord, I don't even know how to pray in this situation but I know you know everything that's going on and you have good plans for me. So I'm just gonna commit it to you and trust that you're gonna do it. And don't ever let not knowing how to pray become an excuse for not praying at all because what the Bible tells us is that prayer is the catalyst or the method that God has chosen to use to move and act in your life. And in fact, it tells us in James 4.2, James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Or actually what that indicates is that we can limit in some way or another what God would, could, or wants to do by not asking for his help. So if I don't pray, then I'm left wondering, well, shoot, I should have prayed. Maybe it would have made a difference. But if I do pray, I can be at peace knowing that if I've asked God to take care of the situation, in the best way possible, he knows what that way is and he will absolutely do that. And then I can just wait upon him knowing that first, the spirit groans for me. Second, the son intercedes for me as we're gonna see in verse 34. And last but not least, the father will do what's best for me as we're gonna see in verse 28. The spirit groans for me, the son intercedes for me and the father's gonna do what's best concerning me. And this is also a comfort to me in knowing that even when I think I know how to pray and I'm asking for something that ends up being the wrong thing, 
the Holy Spirit's still praying on my behalf the right thing. So even when I'm praying with good intentions and it's wrong, the Holy Spirit is still praying on my behalf. Amen? The right thing. All right, Paul goes on to tell us in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So here's the next benefit we have in Jesus, the third of four reasons that God's, or Paul's given us, God's given us through Paul, to be hopeful in the midst of any hard thing we face, and that is that God has promised to use the hard for our good. God has promised to use your heart for your good. Paul tells us that we will share in the same suffering of Jesus, as we saw earlier in this chapter. But now, here's what he tells us, that God's able to use even those sufferings, those hard things you face in your life, for our good, in verse 28. In fact, what Paul says here is that those who love God, which is what happened when you placed your faith in Jesus, he gave you that ability to know God and love him, okay? So for those who love God, if you placed your faith in Jesus, that's you. God is working all things, which is not some things, even the most horrible things, okay? He is working all things going on in your life and around you in this world, as bad as it appears, for our good, according to his purpose. And that's key because that doesn't mean it's always gonna work out the way you want or you think is best. Very rarely. Because I have no idea what he's doing, right? But it does mean it'll always work out in a way that is, as Romans 12, 2 says, good, pleasing, and perfect. Because God knows that. And I want you to know that Paul says that this is something we can know or that we can be confident in, not only because God has said it and therefore it's true, but also because he's more than proved his commitment to your best interests. He could have just said he loved you, but he didn't do that. He actually showed you how much he loved you in giving his son to die for you. That more than proves how much he cares about you and that he has your best interests in mind. And then also, I have testimonies, you have testimonies that speak of God doing this very thing over and over in your life of things that looked bad and were bad. But in hindsight, God used them for our good. And his past faithfulness, as I say so often, demands our present trust. I had a dear brother give me a birthday card this week. And it was this card that just brought me to tears because he felt led by the Holy Spirit to just share of God's faithfulness over the past six years of serving together. If you guys didn't know, my, my birthday's on Halloween. I do not have a 666 on my head or anything like that. But, <laughs> but my birthday's on Halloween. I get cake and candy. Um, but then the anniversary of me taking over lead pastors the day after on November 1st didn't seem like a birthday present at the time. But... <laughs> But I'm just gonna read this to you because as I, and I'll try not to break down in tears because this is such a great example of God's faithfulness. And the thing is that a lot of these examples of his faithfulness came from things that were not good at the time and felt like they were breaking me. 
But God gave me the grace to endure through them, and I look back now, and I see his faithfulness, and I see his goodness. He said, happy birthday in celebration of your six-year anniversary of God's faithfulness as our pastor. His faithfulness through the transition. His grace to you daily in loving people. The kindness of giving us all one-mindedness and focus in our leadership. His provision of your house in Astoria. His gift of Zeke. His gift of new elders. His ministry in and through your boys. His blessing of your marriage in a wife that loves the Lord. His giving you all the space in your home back. <laughs> you guys didn't know a lot of the last, our time of owning that home, our family's been living with us and that was a fine season but it's a nice season right now and just our family being together. His faithfulness through COVID, financially keeping us and keeping people from dividing and staying focused on Jesus, even bringing home churches out of it. His bringing new people and families to Christ, his answers to prayer with taking care of the building, his growth of the worship team, his provision of kids teachers, his faithfulness to use the faithful teaching of God's word. What a great six years. May the Lord bless you in your 46th year of life beyond what you could ever ask or imagine or think. And as I read that, like I said, it just was such a great reminder of God's faithfulness. And a lot of those things, there, there were some of those things that were not good. They were bad. And I want you to know here, it doesn't say that all things are good. I think that's where some people get mistaken because they're like, why is this bad thing happened to me? Am I supposed to look at this bad thing as good? No, bad things are gonna happen to you. You live in a sinful world and the result of a sinful world is that there's consequences of sin and that's why there's bad things in our lives, all right? But what it says here is he's gonna work all things, even the bad things for our good. And there's a big difference because uh, you know one of the examples I was just thinking of Early in my life, even before I was saved, my parents getting a divorce was not a good thing as a kid. It brought suffering in my life. But even before I was saved, I can see how God used that for my good now. Because what it resulted in was my grandfather stepping in to become a father figure and raise me in life. And he raised me way better than my biological father ever could and it directed me down the path that got me to where I am today, which is right where God wanted me. I may have had some temporary loss in my life due to that hardship, but what God allowed me to gain out of it was far greater. And I use that word temporary because when I look back at things from the proper perspective, the things I thought I was losing out on at the time and not having my biological dad around really weren't losses at all because everything that I gained through my, father, my grandfather raising me was far greater. And now I'm clearly able to see the same thing Joseph saw at the end of all the hardship he faced his life in his life when he says in Genesis 50, chapter 50, verse 20, that what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. And I point that out because the hard things that we go through in this life are more certainly not good. Nobody's telling you that the cancer you have is good. 
Nobody's telling you that the divorce you're going through is good. But because you're a child of God, you have the benefit of being able to be absolutely confident that one day you will get to see God use your heart for good. And if you haven't seen the good yet, maybe it's just because you're still focusing on the loss and you just need to get your focus back on Jesus so he can start showing you all of the things he's gonna allow you to gain through that heart you're going through. And if you haven't seen the gain yet, because I've gone through this over and over again in my life, I can 100% say with certainty that one day you will. I guarantee it. One day you will see the good that God brings from whatever hard you're going through. Paul going on to tell us in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul gives us here the fourth and final reason we're gonna go through today on why we can be hopeful no matter what hard thing you might be going through. And that is that God is in total control of the hard in your life. God is in total control of the hard in your life. God did not save you into a loving relationship with him and go to the extent that he did in allowing his son to die on the cross so your sins could be paid for and you could be forgiven of them just to abandon you in the midst of the suffering that we experience in this life so often. And here in verse 29 through 30, we see the entire plan of salvation for us by God from beginning until the end. Verse 29, telling us that he foreknew you. And as such, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son or to become like Jesus so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers or so that you could become a child of God. Now let's pretend you had absolute foreknowledge as God does. Foreknowledge meaning that God knows everything that is going to happen in the future, all right? What that would mean is that you playing the lottery would never be a gamble because you would always know what numbers were gonna come up, all right? So in like manner with God, he predestined you or it was predetermined by God for you to become like Jesus as he knew it would absolutely happen or that you would make it until the finish. As Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And that should be absolutely glorious news to you because I don't know about you, but often what the enemy wants me to believe is I'm a loser and I'm not living up to the call that God's given me on life or I'm not where I should be. And what this says right here is that God says you are an absolute winner. He did not take a gamble on you. He is seeing you through until the end. But also understand, this isn't because of anything good in you that God saw, but rather despite all the bad that he saw, God 
still predestined us because of his mercy and compassion. As Paul told us in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You truly are, me, I truly am a trophy of God's mercy and grace. And then according to verse 30, God calls you or he called you because quite frankly, if God never called you, to himself, if he never reached out to you, you would not have given him the time of day because nobody's looking for God. Remember what Paul said in Romans 3.11, no one is seeking God. But here's the thing. If somebody calls you, what do you have to do in return to initiate that conversation? You gotta pick up the phone, right? You gotta answer. You gotta converse. And in like manner, we have the responsibility to respond when God comes calling and that's where our free will or our responsibility to respond to God's call comes into play regarding our salvation. Jesus talks about this in John 3, 16 through 20. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Through God's foreknowledge, God sees the person who wants to continue to walk in the darkness rather than picking up the phone, if you will. And he also sees the person who wants to answer the call and come out into the light. And that, at least in part, plays into who God has predestined or called to be a part of his family. And you who have been called and responded to that call have also been justified through your faith in Jesus or through you picking up that call and believing in his work on the cross. And because of that, you're just as if you had no sin. And one day you will be glorified when you are with the Lord face to face, as Paul says in verse 30. But I want you to note The tense of that word, glorified, is what's called the aorist tense, which means that since God has foreknowledge to know that this will certainly happen in the future, when he says you're glorified, it's because he sees it as a done deal because he knows it absolutely will happen. Now turn to your brother and sister, and I want you to understand that that's how God sees them right now, is glorified. Okay, maybe your spouse. You might look to him and say, there's just a lot of work that needs to happen there, (laughs) all right? But that's not how God sees them. He sees them as it's a done deal because he's already seen and knows how they're gonna end up. And seeing each other from that proper perspective, like as God does, is what's gonna keep us from casting stones at each other or getting upset when we drop the ball, which we all do from time to time, right? Amen? Amen. Verse 29 and 30 really show us how truly God is the author and finisher of our faith, as Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, from beginning to end, it's God that saves us. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm gonna have the worship team and the prayer team come up here.
And I just want to touch on that a bit because if you're somebody that's visiting today and this is all kind of new news to you, you might hear that and kind of be a little worried, wondering like, well, shoot, am I one of the predestined ones? Am I one of the ones that have been called to be part of God's family, to be conformed to the image of Jesus? And I would tell you, if that's your thought right now, you're worrying about the wrong question, all right? Because here's what Paul goes on to tell us in Romans 10, 12 through 13. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the thing. You've heard the good news. You've heard the gospel today. God has extended the call to you. Now it's your job to pick it up. That's a responsibility of you and you alone. God is not gonna force you to repent or to turn from the darkness, to turn from the, the, the sins that maybe are appealing to our flesh but are destroying our lives and harming those around us. And this is your opportunity to do that, to turn from those and turn to God, seeking the forgiveness that he freely gives you through believing in his son and the sacrifice on the cross. And anyone and everyone has that opportunity to do that in this place that have heard the gospel today. Amen? So my encouragement to you is, answer the call. Do that here between you and God. We're gonna have our prayer team around the room. You can come up if you don't even know how to pray and we'll pray with you. Now for the rest of us, this chapter gives us every reason to hope no matter what's going on in our lives. I've given you four of those reasons today. Next week, I'll give you the last three. But before God came in our lives, we truly were hopeless. We had no surety of things working out in our favor but God's given us every reason to be confident of that for the reasons I pointed out today. But yet sometimes we can still struggle because our focus gets on the, th the hard thing we're going through and the suffering that comes with it and, the, and the, how we don't understand how it's gonna work out for good, how we just, we don't see the whole picture and our minds drift from being on the Lord and his promises to that hard thing we're going through. And the antidote for that hopelessness or that discouragement or that anxiousness that often leads you to is to get your focus back on the Lord and his promises and his past faithfulness and how he's always been faithful to keep his word to you and all the goodness he's shown in your life. And so one of the ways we do that is we go to his word like we did today. You've been reminded if you needed that reminder. You've been assured that these are part of your inheritance as a child of God. You don't have to doubt these things. But if you still need to be encouraged, we're gonna have the opportunity to pray. We'll have people around the room. And that's another, another way that we address hopelessness or worry. Instead of trying to handle it ourselves, we give it to God. As it says in 1 Peter, we cast our cares to him knowing he cares for us. We come with that heart of submission where like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray anymore. And we can confidently know, but the Holy Spirit's praying for us the right way. 
So we can just even come not knowing how to pray and say, I just need to pray. I know I need to trust you. I know I need to give it to you because you're gonna act on my behalf. And it reminds us we're not expected to figure it out. God's already got it all figured out. And we can trust him and we can wait upon him and watch him figure it all out in front of us and praise him at the end of it. The other thing we can do is we can worship the Lord. Man, there's a, a great section in 2 Chronicles 2.20 where the nation of Israel is facing this huge battle, one they can never win in their own power, and it leaves them scared. Even though they're God's people and he's made these promises to protect them, they're freaked out at this big army coming at them, and they go to God, they do the right thing, they pray, they go to give it to God, and God responds. He reminds them of his promises. He actually says, you're not even gonna have to fight in this battle. It's gonna be okay. I'm gonna work things for your good. And it's interesting because as they go out into the battle, they put people that play instruments that were responsible for leading worship out in front as if they knew that, man, we, we need to keep our mind on the Lord and this is one way we're gonna do it. We're gonna praise him going into this battle because if we go into it, we're gonna start to lose focus and we're gonna get scared and we're gonna run, but we wanna have faith. So we're gonna go into this battle praising God. And so when we worship God, it helps as we're proclaiming these truths about him, these promises that he's made us to reassure ourselves, to convince ourselves of these things, to remind ourselves of these things. So if you're in that place of worry or fear or depression because of hard things in your life, my, my encouragement to you is if you don't know Jesus, invite him into your life. Receive that free gift of salvation and he'll change that. But if you do know Jesus and you just need to get your focus back on him, praise him with us. Come up and get prayer. Cast those cares to him. Remind yourself of his goodness and his faithfulness and give it to him to handle. Don't carry it around yourself. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promises, Lord. I just think of how bad I used to suffer with depression and hopelessness before you came into my life. And that was one thing that you really helped me with, helped me overcome right away, Lord, because I just saw firsthand in your word over and over again from beginning to end that your plans for me were good, that you loved me dearly, that you didn't just save me to leave me to the harmful effects of living in a fallen world, but that you were gonna see me right through it into your glory for all eternity, unscathed, Lord. But I need to be reminded of that so often. That's why this, this chapter never grows old. Because it seems like, Lord, as, as we get closer to your return, the days just grow darker. Things become harder. But you're still the same. You've always been good. You will always be good. You've always been faithful. You will always be faithful. You. Love us always, Lord. That'll never change. As we'll see next week, nothing can separate us from your love. Your plans for us are the same. So much so that when you saved us, when you predestined us, you predestined us to become like Jesus because you knew it would happen. So we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fret, Lord. We want to live in that confidence in you and your word. Be with us now and help remind us of that, Lord, of those truths 
so that we can live in them as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.